Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We're a movement of men in central Indiana pursuing meaningful friendships, faith, and character. If you'd like to learn more about us, the facility we're building designed for the energizing and growth of men, or would like to financially partner with us in our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. So every Sunday, I like to watch Dr. Jeremiah, David Jeremiah. He's on at 8.30, and I catch him right before I come to church. And I don't know why, he's just an older pastor, kind of down the middle. I just like his heart. He's just a sensitive guy. And uh, I don't know why, but the first time I I caught this this week, right before he came on, this disclaimer came on the TV. And it said, this content does not reflect the views of our station. And I was like, interesting. So the TV station actually said, this stuff we don't believe. And it doesn't do that anywhere else. I've I've been watching TV shows to see if that shows up anywhere else. It's only when the Christians get up and start preaching that they put that on the TV. Isn't that the darndest thing? So to help you understand how old I am, I remember a black and white TV was the first TV that came into our home, and it was about this big, and it was when TVs were really new, and we watched the lunar landing or something on it, you know, I was just like blown away, and we could barely see it, we're all huddled around it, and then color TVs came, and then computers came, and then smartphones came. And I would argue those three technologies have hijacked the American culture in a way that you can't possibly imagine. I don't think any of us realize how those three technologies have changed our country for the worse, not for the better. I think they've actually replaced God's word, his written word, with digital words. And I don't think those digital words are really in the mass and the bulk of things in the grand scheme on average really bringing men closer to God. In fact, I would argue they're pulling us away from him. The average person globally spends seven to 18 hours a day interacting with digital media. Average Americans spend two hours a day on social media. 69% of adults and 81% of teens are on social media. 36% of millennials are online all day. 82 million millennials spend over $1.5 trillion online. Facebook's over 15 years old, and the impact is clearly visible. Two-thirds of Americans say social media is clearly affecting our country negatively. And due to censoring false information and unhealthy comparisons, they believe it's actually damaging our country irreversibly. Social media decreases our ability to feel things the correct way because it increases our dopamine in a way that things like heroin and cocaine increase dopamine in our systems. It can actually become addictive and is designed to be addictive. That's the scary part. The side effects of social media are isolation, loneliness, depression, and anxiety, and they're showing that they're escalating at levels they've never thought or anticipated. Social media is destroying the emotional health of our young people. And the media creators are getting wealthy and Americans are getting sick and isolated. So I would honestly ask you, honestly, 
Are your daily thoughts and what you believe coming from the media? Digital and video media are leading us away from Jesus, not towards him. Jesus foretold this in Matthew 24, and Paul echoed it in Timothy 23. Or, uh, Timothy, every, okay, you guys know there's no Timothy 23. That was, like, that was like Malachi, the Italian prophet. He didn't exist, right? So, right. T- 2 Timothy 3, that's where the 23 came from. Listen to these words. Listen to this. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power have nothing to do with them, Paul tells Timothy. Jesus did foretell this. This is what is going to happen, and it's happening, you guys. This was not God's plan. Our purpose was clear. We talked about it last week in Genesis. God's plan was, I'm going to place you here. I'm going to put you in a garden. I want you to transform the world, make the whole world my sanctuary. This is the plan. We're part of making this a sanctuary. The problem is there's two forces opposing us, the devil and our free will. Media-driven culture feeds both. Media is owned by godless men. Our biggest challenge to following Jesus is the media forces us to spend way too much time consuming it. Over the next six weeks, we're going to talk about what God has provided us to keep us living out this purpose. Tonight, we're going to explore the Bible as our source of truth. And I think you would all agree that our minds have incredible power. They have this power for goodness and life. And then they have this power for destruction and evil. We're made in the image of God. Our minds are similar to His. We can think in the abstract. We can foresee the future. We can change our behavior. We're the only creation that can do this. Our mind is the source of our key choices. Whether I love or I fear, whether I obey, whether I disobey, what we put in our mind determines what we think, which determines how we act, which determines how we feel. Christians have to choose who or what will control our mind and our thoughts. You have to pick, you guys. Research shows us, here's a cool thought for the night, we have over 6,000 new thoughts every day. Not new in the sense that I've never thought that before. It's the first time I've ever thought it. In the sense that this thought arrived and then another one arrived, then another one arrived, then another one arrived. So 6,000 discrete thoughts, over 6,000 discrete thoughts come through our mind every day. That's crazy, isn't it? Someone was able to map that. That's real data. So what does that tell you? That tells you if you have a new thought and you're changing thoughts, there's an incredible opportunity for you to be influenced. Your thought can be moved. It can be changed. It can move from here to there. It could be good in one moment and bad in another because you have a new train of thought. And it happens 6,000 times a day. I don't know if we're, who's worse, men or women. I think the women would say it's us. It's very easy to influence a person like that. So who's going to have access over our mind? Adam only had two voices. Remember in the garden? God and his. But then came Eve. And there were four voices, Adam, Eve, the devil, and God. 
This is where the problem started. God knew that those voices were going to be a problem. That fourth voice was the voice of the devil. And think about this as a parent. You know what I'm saying here. This makes sense. What's your biggest fear when your kids leave home? What are the voices that are going to enter their head that are not going to lead them where they should go? And this is exactly what God had to face when the devil entered the garden. What is Adam and Eve going to hear that's going to lead them away from me? Hmm. So which voices will you allow each day to control your decisions and thoughts about yourself? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to make it obedient to Jesus. And Paul also said, when you renew your mind, your life will be transformed. What did he mean? He means when you're renewed, you're restored from all the bad that you already allowed in. Paul anticipated we'd let a lot of bad thoughts in our head. So he's like, renew your mind. Renew it. you got to do it constantly. Renew it. Renew it. Restore it to what? To its original settings. Well, where are those default settings stored? Bible holds the factory default. The Bible's the only source of truth in our world today, you guys. It's it. The truth about God is here. The truth about you is here. And the truth about our world is here. And it's the only source of truth that you can trust. I don't have nearly enough time to share with you all the facts about why you should read the Bible as the only source of truth. But one book I would recommend you read is Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. Get the newest edition. It's really thick and it'll take you a long time to read it. But if you're a guy that needs a lot of data and science to help you fight through doubt, this book will help you. It's helped me. I've read it. It's changed a lot of what I think because I'm a scientist. I'm a doubter. I like data, numbers, science, facts. I like that stuff. Josh tackles all that. He presents a wealth of information about why we can believe that this book is true. It's really good, guys. Science and the Bible go very well together. They belong together. There was a great uh, anthropologist named Richard Leakey, and he said, when you climb the mountain of knowledge and you reach the top, at the top you'll find a band of theologians. Yeah. The Bible was written by men filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what we learn in Timothy. And Peter said the same thing. Inspired by God. Moved by God. Written over a 1,500-year time span. The oldest book, Job, was written about 3,000 years ago. This book was written by 40 different men with 40 different vocations over three continents in three languages. Now think about the vast challenges of making that something that synthesizes and when you analyze it it's all perfectly aligned all of these different cultures grammar words word writing word structure sentence structure culture structure all of those influence over 1500 years from 40 different guys with 40 vastly different jobs kings shepherds doctors lawyers tax collectors Writing at different times in different places, you think it's all going to be perfectly aligned the way you would expect it to be? Yet it is. Yet it all points to Jesus. 39 books of the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible, has their histories, their songs, their laws, and their prophecies, all pointing to one person, the Messiah. 27 books in the New Testament, it's the story of Jesus written after he came, all talking about the Messiah that has come and that will come again. Mm. This is good stuff, you guys. 
All 66 books of the Bible talk about Jesus. Billions of copies in over 700 languages have been produced. The New Testament's been produced in 1,500 languages. Okay, quiz of the day. What's the best-selling book in history right now? Everybody knows. It's the Bible. What's the second one? No one's going to know this. No. It was a good try. Not Fifty Shades of Grey either. 850 million copies of a book by Mao Zedong is the second highest selling book. The next book on the list is the Harry Potter series at 500 million. Yeah, literally. 850 million, Mao Zedong, 500 million, whatever her name is, right? Harry Potter. 3.9 billion Bibles were sold in the last 50 years alone. 3.9 billion in the last 50 years alone. So we don't have no idea how many have been sold. They can't even count the total. The Bible is so far past being the bestseller, you can't even count it anymore. It's that, that much. So, and the, and the Quran's not even on the list of the top 10. So the Old Testament accuracy is so powerful that when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1946, they dated them at 300 BC. And it helped them read the Old Testament and say, wow, the Old Testament is almost exactly matching these documents. It was like 95% accurate, and the only thing that was off were these grammar differences I'm talking about that you would expect when you have that kind of time frame, and spelling errors. So they, they came back and said, this Old Testament is so stinking accurate, it's unbelievable. And they also found a, a New Testament papyrus fragment that dated in 90 AD. That's incredibly early. The, the, the books of the Bible were written somewhere between 40 and 68, the New Testament, were somewhere in 40 to 60 AD. And they found a papyrus scrap that had uh, parts of the New Testament written from 90 AD, only 30 years later. And the corroboration of accuracy was overwhelmingly positive. So you would not imagine the amount of copies of the Bible that are all over the world. There's, there's literally thousands and thousands of copies. And as they uh, uh, find more and more uh, artifacts and more copies of the Bible, you know what happens to the accuracy of the Bible? It's going up. You know what happens to Shakespeare as they find more? It gets worse. They find Shakespeare, and Shakespeare is a very modern book, but it's considered a, a, a one of the state-of-the-art uh, old literature pieces that people really uh, wallow over as something that's accurate. But as they find more parts of the Shakespearean story, the accuracy of Shakespeare gets worse. As they find more of the Bible, the accuracy gets better and better. It's improving and improving and getting better and better. The Bible's insanely accurate, my friends. There's over 25 quotes in the New Testament from the Old Testament. Jesus talks about Jonah. People say there's no such thing as a fish. He talks about it, and he doesn't talk about it metaphorically. He talks about it as if it's real. There's 25 of those types of quotes that validate the authenticity of the Old Testament. The New Testament has four eyewitness accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four eyewitness accounts. Where do you find that in any other ancient document? They don't exist. Josephus wrote Antiquities of the Jews in 94 AD. And you know what's recorded in that history? He's a non-Christian historian. The story of Jesus' uh, trial and his resurrection are mentioned by Josephus, a non-Christian historian. Gentlemen, the book is true. It's true. And it is the only truth that we can actually anchor our souls to. It's God's word. It's God's word. And how do you know? 
Here's one of the ways you know. Since the resurrection of Jesus, 2.4 billion people on this planet today have been saved by God's word. That's today, right now. That doesn't account for all the people that have been saved across the history of time. This word saves souls. Peter said, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. The word of God saves people. Hearing God's word, it's the only path that has to be spoken. Men hear it, it saves them. And it's been doing that for 2,000 years. Billions of people have been saved. That's how you know this book has power. The Bible has been translated into thousands of languages in both writing and in audible recordings. And hundreds of these tribes in Africa, South America, China, all over the world have heard the Bible in audible words in their own native language. And you should see the stories. All you got to do is go to the Jesus film, American Bible Society, Wycliffe. Just go to any of their websites and click on their audio Bibles. And you'll, and you'll see what they've done with audio Bibles and the stories of transformation when people hear God's word in their own native tongue for the first time and they come back 10, 10 weeks, 20 weeks, a year later and the tribe's completely different, completely changed for the better. I actually had a guy that worked for me. He was in my maintenance department, big studly guy. He would lift I-beams by himself. You know, he's just one of those studs, right? You know, we just love this guy. He was a moose, right? It, he came to me one day, he said, Mr. Moore, I'm going to China. Uh, I was wondering if you could support me. And I said, absolutely, man. What, what do you need? He said, well, you can't tell anybody this, but I'm smuggling Bibles into China. And I said, how much money do you need? I'll do I'll, I'll, whatever you need. We paid for his trip. We paid for everything to get him in. He did it two years in a row. He said it scared that poop out of him. But he smuggled Bibles into China, you guys. There's people that are willing to risk their lives to put Bibles into places because we know it changes lives. You wouldn't do that if you didn't think the Bible wouldn't change a life, would you? Would you do that? Of course you wouldn't. America was founded and governed by men who deeply valued the Bible. And how do I know? Here's how. David Barton has a website called Wall Builders. David has spent his whole life amassing original letters from the founding fathers original letters, and you can go on his website and read them, and you can see the words of the men that founded this country, and almost every single guy references God, Jesus, and the Bible. Gentlemen, this country was founded by God-fearing men, Jesus lovers. They were lovers of the Lord. Almost every president in our country has been a Christian. You got to go on there and read these letters for yourself because, guys, our country's history is being scrubbed before our eyes. Our youth, our young people have no idea that our founders were Christians. They have no idea. They don't go read the, the inscriptions all over the buildings in Washington and realize those are words about God. Those are words from the Bible. You know, you can erase them, but they're still inscribed right there on the walls. These men believed in Jesus. They were God followers. Listen to some of their quotes from these letters, I'm telling you. George Washington said, it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Benjamin Franklin said, young men, my advice to you is that you cultivate an acquaintance with and a firm belief in the Holy Scriptures. Daniel Webster, who wrote your dictionaries, I believe the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be the will and the Word of God. John Quincy Adams, so great is my veneration for the Bible. That the earlier my children begin to read it, the more confident will be my hope 
that they will prove useful citizens to their country and respectable members of society. I've made it a practice for several years to read the Bible through in the course of every year. I usually devote to this reading the first hour after I rise every morning. Abraham Lincoln, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has given to man. All the good of the Savior of the world is communicated to us through the book. But for it, we could not know right from wrong. And Calvin Coolidge, the foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. And Ronald Reagan, within the covers of the Bible are the answers for all the problems we face. That's a powerful statement, isn't it, guys? I mean, these are the leaders of the country. They believed that the Bible, in fact, was true. Listen to what Moses says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, <laughs> houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord. This is what he said, guys. Moses tells his team, his people, this is what you'll do. If you don't read this, if you don't listen to this, you'll forget. Our wealth and our success, has, and our success as a country has led us away from God. In fact, I was reading modern data on this. There's data that correlates the wealth of a country with a declining faith. They're inversely proportional. As wealth grows, guess what happens to faith? It declines, it does not increase. And it's exactly what you see in America. Lots of people talking about God, very few following Jesus. Moses told the people, talk, write, wear, hear, do it all, put it all around you. Why? Because the Bible transforms the people. It gets them to remember, and then it transforms the families, then the cities, then the nation. So go the families that read their Bible, so goes the nation. In Genesis 1, and God said, was repeated six times, and everything we know came into existence. And God said, he spoke words, and everything we know came into existence. God's word transformed darkness into life. The darkness in your head is because your head is full of dark thoughts. Dark can be replaced by, and God said. And what darkness do you need to hear God speak in your head? In John 1, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through Him all things were made. Jesus is the Word. John tells us that. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God's power to transform spoken words into life. Your Bible leads you to Jesus because your Bible is Jesus. I love my Bible. 
If you look at my Bible, it's really beat up. I mean, my Genesis is falling apart. I've got it glued together. I don't know if you guys can see this or not, but it's like crumbling. I love this Bible. I really have found an affection for it and not in a weird way. Somebody will take that the wrong way. I can count on it, but you know, that's your issue. I would ask you a simple question. When's the last time you hugged your Bible? You got up and you just said, God, I love this thing, man. Why would you hug your Bible? Because it's Jesus. You got to hug him. He loves you. These are his words. He wrote them for you. It's him. How else can he touch you? He put him here so he could touch you. These are him. It's him. When was the last time you hugged your Bible? In Matthew 4, Jesus said, come, follow me. God's word leads me. It causes me to follow Jesus. Most of us follow our own plan. We do. Oh, we do. Man, we're plan followers, aren't we? And it's all ours. We're guys. We're following our own stinking plan. But the Bible doesn't say that, right? It says, follow me. Come follow me. Follow him. That's what the word says. So when you go back to the word and you read the word, you get there and you're like, now I'm following me again, God. And he's like, I know. Read my word. You'll follow me again. Come follow me. Most men aren't following Jesus. He's just simply an advisor. So actually, honestly, ask yourself tonight, who am I really following? Are you really following Jesus? Or is he just an advisor for you? In Ephesians 4, we read, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up. We'll grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. God's word helps us mature, gentlemen, spiritually and emotionally, both. And most men need to mature. This is probably one of our biggest issues is we're just not growing up. We're not maturing because we're not digesting God's word. If you digest his word, you'll mature. You'll start to grow spiritually and emotionally. And I'll tell you, the most powerful thing for men is to study God's word in groups with other men. You guys are on the right track. Don't abandon it. Don't quit. You should be in a men's Bible study with men every single year of your life. Every single year till you can't get there anymore. We got guys that are 91 in Florida that can't hardly budge. And they're on Zoom on Thursday night. Because they know, I got to be with other men in God's word. That's how you'll mature. That's how you'll grow. That's where your emotional space moves. You get to watch other guys. You see how they tackle issues. You hear how they uh, approach things. You listen to their solutions. Godly men, guys that believe this stuff. You have to be in groups with other men to mature emotionally and spiritually. You're on the right page, guys. Keep with it. Stay in the game. So let me ask you, where are you stuck emotionally? Where are you stuck emotionally? Can you tell you are? Many of you are. Most of us are. What spiritual roadblocks keep you from moving ahead? Your emotional and spiritual roadblocks are very difficult to discern which is which. And they're getting in your way. How do you identify them? In Joshua 1, Moses says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And listen to the, the, this, this reward you get. Then you will be prosperous and successful. 
Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. So you're going to go spend tons of money to read uh, Good to Great and go see all these guys, read Harvard Review, Wall Street Journal. You guys are scouring this stuff, right? I mean, you're all over it because you want to be the next rich guy, right? Chasing all the dough. Jeff Bezos, right? Zuckerberg. How did they do it? You're listening to their writings and listening to their podcasts. And God says, don't do that. But this, don't let this depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. And then you will be prosperous and successful with this book. Not those books, this book. God can provide far more wealth for you than they can or you can. He can provide far more wealth for you than they can or you can. For me, my wealth grew when I committed to leading Bible study. I had one plant at the time. I committed to leading a Bible study fellowship class in Chicago. And the teacher leader came to me and said, when you start this class, your plant's going to double in size. My business grew seven times the size it, is, it was then because I committed to leading Bible study. I did it for eight years. Guys, you can't think of the ways God's going to help you grow and prosper. You can't. You can't think of it. It's not possible. It's not in your head. God's ways are higher than your ways. He knows stuff you don't know. He's got money you'll never touch. And he can give it to you when he wants you to have it. You just got to believe it and you got to follow his ways. What was the last time? When was the last time you trusted God financially? Honestly, when was the last time you trusted God financially? I mean, really trusted him with your money. Hebrews 4 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God judges what's in your heart. It gets right into there. God's word convinces us, gentlemen, when we derail. And there are times when you need to hear it and you need to stop. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you say, don't commit adultery. I say, when you think about another woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. Gentlemen, stop lusting. That's what Jesus would say. So when you're staring that girl down, stop. Just stop. Stop thinking about her. Stop meditating on it. Stop drooling over her. Stop daydreaming about her. Stop. Why? Because the Bible says to. That's it. God says, stop, stop. Jesus said, don't. That's good enough for me, right? That's what the Bible does. He tells you stuff like that. He's like, there's times when you need to hear you're sinning and you need to stop. Stop. What are you sensing right now you need to stop? What is it? Is you're sensing something right now? Write it down and go home and think about it and stop, man. Don't keep going. Matthew 4 says, we do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's word is our daily nutrition. It helps us with all our decisions, choices. We overcome pain and emotions, hardships. It gives us the ability to love. It gives us the ability to overcome our hate. It gives us courage to do what looks impossible, which oftentimes is to forgive somebody we can't stand. That's what the word of God does. It's our food. It's our daily food. What do you need to focus on this week? Consuming more food and meals or more scripture? You need more food or do you need more God? First Peter 1 says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living, enduring word of God. His words are what save men from death, not your words. 
and they have to be spoken, which means memorizing God's word have a purpose. Because when you're going to quote God, quote him correctly, please. The devil quoted God and he led Eve into original sin. And all he did was change one word. And you can be the same guy. Change one word and you might be leading someone into sin instead of into heaven. If you're going to memorize his word, then memorize it correctly. But you should memorize it because it's the power to save men's souls. And you need to share God's word, not your words. God's words have changed me and my family in so many ways, guys. I want to give you a few examples to round out our night. In 1989, I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. And honestly, it seemed like I just moved like this. I was going like this, and I kind of went like this. It just felt like that. It felt like I made a big decision, but it didn't feel like I went like that. It felt like I just went like this. I'm sorry, Taylor, I missed the mic here. Sorry, I'm on it. Um, the mic's sensitive. Um, but you know what? I found it interesting about paths. When you stay on a path long enough, it starts a little bit off. But the further you go, at some point, those paths are vastly different places. And for many of us, that's exactly what happens when you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. You start with just a little change, and it doesn't feel like much changed. But for me, I look back 30 years back and I go, where I am now is way different than the path I was headed on, man. Like I am in a vastly different place, even though that moment it happened seemed little. The first thing that I remember where God's word made a dramatic change in my life was the story of Jonah. And that story helped me make the decision to lead the Bible study fellowship class in Chicago. The next um, scripture that changed my life was the parable of the talents, Matthew 25. It literally caused me to build a plant in Mooresville, Indiana, which many of you have said you've driven by. 200 employees, 200,000 square foot building, processing over 100 million pounds of food ingredients every year. I did that because I read Matthew 25 and I was convinced God said, I gave you these gifts. You need to use them. Stop bearing them. And so I built a plant. Reading 1 John, when I first came to Indy, convinced me I needed to start working with young men who I did not really want to work with. Quite frankly, I'd been around a lot of young men at my plants, and I really didn't enjoy working with them that much, and I hate to say that, but that was my attitude because they were difficult, they had a lot of problems, and those problems were hard to overcome. And so the thought of helping other young men in this town really was not appealing to me. I was more interested in thinking about golf and wondering how fun it would be to play at, you know, crooked stick. Put those three together. Jonah, Matthew, parable of talents in 1 John 1, and heart of a man is here because of that sequence. I literally obeyed God's word, you guys. I'm telling you, I did. Every time I heard those scriptures, I did what God, I felt God tell me to do, and they dramatically changed my life and my family's life and the lives of thousands of other people. My wife made it through a long depression when her dad died because she quoted Isaiah 43 over and over every day. And the words in Isaiah 43 that really made an impact on her were these, you are mine. And it helped her get through a long depression because of her father's death. My son Taylor managed a long, frustrating time of being single because of the story of Lazarus. When Jesus lets Mary and Martha's brother die, so that he can convince his disciples that he's the son of God. And then he comes and raises him from the dead. But they've suffered for days. Their suffering had nothing to do with the purpose he had in mind, but they thought it was. Taylor was dealing with his singleness for a while, and it was really 
frustrating him. And God said, Taylor, I've got a purpose you cannot see. Trust me. Taylor's engaged now. My son Kyle changed a very deep-seated selfishness toward his wife by reading 1 Peter 3 when it said, Husbands, understand your wife. And he looked himself in the mirror and said, That's exactly what I'm not doing. I'm just feeling my own selfishness, and I'm not understanding her, and I need to change, and he has. And I'm telling you, it's been unbelievable to watch him as a husband. And also, recently, he told me 1 Corinthians 13 literally gave him life because he's got a crying baby at home that's like about six months, no, not even four months old now, and she just cries. That's what babies do. And as a dad, that frustrates the poop out of you. Right? Like you just don't want him to keep crying. It it's just drives you nuts. But Kyle read 1 Corinthians 13 and it said, love is patient. And he's like, God, I love my little girl. I love little Ruby. Why am I not patient, God? Love is patient. What Bible stories have been the cause of significant changes that you've made in your life? Guys, if you don't have Bible verses and stories where you can directly point that this Bible verse had me go that way, you're not reading the Bible and you're not acting on it. And that I can tell you, you as a Christian man should start having times that you can document where you said that verse, I did that, that verse, I did that, that verse, I did that. That's what a Christian man that reads God's word and believes that it's Jesus himself does. That's what he does. He hears the word of God, and he acts on the word of God. Dr. David Jeremiah said, as we fill our minds with the truth of God's word, we will be better able to recognize the lies in our own thinking, as well as the lies that the world presses upon us. Men, to live out your purpose of transforming the world into God's garden, God's voice must be the voice that controls your mind. The Bible is God's voice. Let us close. Heavenly Father, your voice is beautiful. Your words are good. I love your Bible, Lord. Thank you for giving it to us. Lord, give us the courage to read it, to memorize it, to discuss it, to live it, and to give up all the other things that are keeping us from it, Lord. Help us walk away from the digital world and the social media. Help us just turn it off, Lord. Father, Read our lives of that stuff. We just don't need it. Help us unplug the stuff so we can plug you in and hear you, Lord. Jesus, fill us this week with your spirit and give us power, power to be men of God who follow the word of God. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Guys, have a great week.